If you didn't bring a Bible with you, hold up your hand. We got extra Bibles. We'll be glad to let you use one if you haven't already gotten one. Don't want to leave anybody out. Hold up your hand real high and the ushers will get one to you. Let's all go to Acts chapter 4. Acts chapter 4. For some weeks now we've been on a series we've entitled Great Grace. Great Grace. And we want to go further into it this morning. In Acts 4 and 32, it describes the the church in its early days. We're a part of this same church. The multitude of them that believed were of one heart and one soul. Everybody say one heart. One soul. Isn't that wonderful? They weren't splintered. Not a bunch of strife and fussing and fighting and splitting. They were all on the same page. All had the same thing in their heart and in their mind. Neither said any of them that the, all of the things which he possessed was his own, but they had all things in common. You know, the more full of the Spirit you get, the more full of love you get. Because the Holy Spirit, Spirit of God, God is love. You're full of Him, you're full of love. And the more full of Him, the more full of the Spirit you are, the less materialistic you are. And the less you think of mine when you think about stuff and money. Verse 33, And with great power gave the apostles witness of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. Everybody say, great power power. and great grace. Great power and great grace. Great grace was upon, not just a few of them, upon them all. There was something on them, on the whole church. The Bible says it was grace and tells us a measure that it was great grace. So if there's great grace, there could be some grace, there could be more grace, a lot of grace, and great grace. The same word translated grace is sometimes translated favor. The favor of God. The grace of God. Mary, the angel told her she was highly favored. Thank you, Lord, to be chosen for what was about to happen and and unfold. And uh, the scripture says in Proverbs 19.12, talks about the king's favor is as dew upon the grass. Just like dew can be on grass or on trees or on you, anything. Well, it can be so light that it's barely perceptible. Or it can be so heavy that it's like it rain and it's dripping off. Well, grace is like that. Grace can be on you, that it's there, it's helping you, but you don't really realize it's helping you. You know, the Lord spoke to me uh, some time back. Uh, he said, uh, I'm helping you much more than you know. Do you believe that? Yes. When I heard that in my spirit, I said out loud, I know that's true. I am so sure that is true. So grace is operating in our lives oftentimes, so many times, and we're not even aware of it. And uh, I assure you that anything that you have been able to receive that was good, anything you've been able to do or have any success set that was good, it was by the grace of the Lord. No matter what your involvement of your faith or your actions or your faithfulness or your diligence or whatever, you couldn't have opened your eyes in the morning. You wouldn't have known which way to go. You wouldn't have known how to stand or how to pray or what to do had it not been for the grace. Grace of God. Grace, His grace is our opportunities. His grace is our abilities. The scripture said, let us come boldly before the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. So grace is our help. Another verse said, talked about grace being our strength. Another verse in Hebrews talks about, let us have grace whereby we may serve God acceptably. It's only by his grace we have the ability to please him, to serve him. What if we got more grace? If we, well, what if 30% more grace came on you for the rest of the year than what you've operated in so far. What if twice the grace 
came on you of what you've operated in previous times, would you know it? How could you tell it? Well, his grace is our opportunities. It is our favor with other people. It is our strength. It is our help. You would know it in numerous ways. For one, things that had been difficult and challenging to you, with more grace, you would now find easy. Just sail through it. And things that you had been unable to achieve, things that you had been unable to do and complete, with enough grace, you can now do it. Areas in your life where you'd been weak, fallen, yielded to the wrong thing, over and over and over again, with enough grace, you can rise up in strength and resist that and not give into it anymore and be free. Friend, with enough grace, no miracle is too big for us to receive. With enough grace, nothing's too hard for us to do. No victory too far off. With enough grace, we can be the men and women we're supposed to be. We can be the husbands or the wives. We can be the man of God or the woman of God. With enough grace. Do you believe it? Would you say out loud, Lord, I want more grace. Huh? I desire. I ask for more grace. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Turn with me to uh, James, if you would. The fourth chapter. James chapter 4. Also, if you want to find Acts, we'll be going to Acts 7. James 4 and Acts 7. We've covered a lot of uh, things already. We went into some detail about what exactly is the favor of God, what is the grace of God, and one of the most encompassing answers is this. It is the presence of God with you. We looked at scripture that said this. uh, The presence of God with you in any situation. I mean, when you come to a place and everything was ready for you before you got there and nobody knew you were coming. Grace. When you just started and went through and sailed and no holdups no hindrances, no delays, and it was easy, and it just worked, and it just happened. Don't get to thinking, I'm good. I can do this thing. Uh, uh Uh-uh, honey. It's grace. It's grace. It's grace. And the grace is his presence with you and on you and around you. I mean, uh, the hand of the Lord is used as a uh, symbolic reference to his presence being on you. His hand can be on your mind. You can be struggling with something, and his hand come on you, and it just clears up for you, and you just know what to do, and know which way to go, and know how to, how to make this thing work. And so we, we begin to delve into, you know, you talk about his grace so much, and then you realize, well, you know, he's faithful. We don't have to work on him to give us grace. It is his idea. It's his desire. What we need to work on is our part. What should we do? What must we do? Our side of this. To obtain greater grace. And so we saw in James 4. One of the most outstanding answers to this uh, question. James 4, 6. It says he God gives more grace. More grace. So even though you have some, even though you've had a lot, would you take some more? Wherefore, he says, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So who doesn't get grace? The proud. Not only do the proud not get grace, they get resisted. Well, how are you going to be successful? How are you going to overcome? How are you going to achieve? And you got no grace and you're being resisted. Well, you're not. But the humble get the grace. And we saw examples of people like Esther who had so much favor on her life. She went from being a total unknown girl to being a woman God used to save and change a nation by the favor on her. And we see that she was not the kind of person 
who asked for special treatment. She was not trying to always asking for things from people. She was looking to God for her favor. And she humbled herself in her situations. Didn't feel entitled or that something was owed to her. I want you to hold your places that you've got there and look with me in Romans 11. Or they'll put it up on the screen for us as well. Romans 11, 6. Romans 11.6 says, if it's by grace, then it's no more of works, otherwise grace is no more grace. If it be of works, then it's no more grace, otherwise work is no more work. That's King James, that's Elizabethan English. But why keep emphasizing it so much? If it's grace, it cannot be works. If it's works, it cannot be grace. If it's one, it can't be the other. And Ephesians tells us, you know, for by grace are you saved, through faith, not of works, lest any, anybody should boast. When we're talking about grace, we should be very clear on this point. You cannot earn grace. You cannot. There's nothing. You, when we're talking about us obtaining more grace, let's not be confused That we can do things to the point where we're deserving, we're owed more grace. No. No. By very nature of what it is, grace is a free, undeserved, unmerited gift. Amen. You don't deserve it. You didn't earn it. And you can't. But you can have the kind of heart... And do the kind of things that allow you to receive it. There are those to whom God is is extending his grace and they won't receive it. And there are those that are saved who have some grace. But he would give more grace. But they're not receiving it. I want to receive it. How about you? I I want to receive lots of grace. More grace. Somebody say more grace. grace. Turn to Acts 7, please. We saw Daniel operating in the favor and grace of God by his faith and by the wisdom that God gave him. Again, not demanding and and not uh, thinking that people owed him anything, but looking to God to move so that it was clearly seen and known. We saw uh, Daniel. And the favor on him, we saw uh, Ruth, the favor on her, how that her faithfulness, Boaz, she said, why are you showing me so much favor? And he said, I heard about what you did with your mother-in-law, the faithfulness. She, she's back in the, behind the scenes. She was picking up the scraps that other people, nothing was too menial or too little for her to do. Who gets the grace? Help me out. The humble get the grace. And now I want us to go on to to see another individual and something I believe that will open up to us. If you'll open your heart and receive this today, I believe it has the the power, the potential to bring us to a whole other level of grace. Very, very significant. It's concerning David, King David. In Acts 7, the the New Testament says concerning him. Verse 46, who, talking about David, he found favor before God, and he desired to find a tabernacle. He desired, somebody say desired. And we will see this was a desire of his heart, heart desire, to find a tabernacle. For the God of Jacob. Verse 47 says though. But Solomon. He didn't build the house. His son Solomon. Built the Lord the house. Do you believe that David found favor? Did he have favor with the Lord? Oh. From the time he was a boy. You know the the Lord sent the prophet down to his dad's house. to Told him he had chosen one of Jesse's boys to be king. And. And. uh, and he's such a youth and, and such an one that they didn't even call him from the herd, you know. 
they didn't even present him. And uh, the prophet went through all the boys and, and the Lord told him, every one of them, no, that's not him, that's not him. And finally he's perplexed. He said, you got any more boys? And well, yeah, we got one out in the field. Well, they must not have been, had any thought that he could have been the one. Didn't even bring him in. He said, well, we won't sit down to eat till he gets here. And they brought him in. And uh, he's a ruddy, you know, the scripture said, fair complected, possibly uh, lighter hair and skin. We don't know, but a good looking kid, but uh, outdoors type, obviously spending time out with the sheep, uh, handy with a slingshot, (laughs) whatever weapons he had. And uh, uh, he comes running in. I'm sure he's got no idea that they're looking for the next king. He runs in there, probably smells a little sheepy (laughs) and a bit sweaty from running in at the last minute. No time to clean up. And the Lord said, this is him. This is him. So he had favor. Somebody say favor. favor. And you see when he faced Goliath, you see when he was running from Saul, you see the Bible said everywhere that David went, the Lord was with him. And the Lord preserved him everywhere he went. Now, we've already established that is the favor of the Lord, the Lord being with you. Was the Lord with David? No question. He was with him. He experienced phenomenal favor, amazing favor. We know it was God that bestowed the favor. But what was it about David from the manward side? What was it about him? That he was favored like this instead of somebody else. He was favored above so many. Early in the, uh, you know, when he began to serve under Saul and was in the military. And Saul had told him that he was going to uh, let him marry one of his daughters. Well, that'd make him part of the royal family. And in 1 Samuel 18, 18, David said to Saul. Who am I? Who am I? And what is my life or my father's family in Israel that I should be son-in-law to the king? Who am I? Everybody say, who am I? I? Now, the thing that will disqualify you from the grace of God is a sense of entitlement. Thinking you deserve something. Thinking it's owed to you. So many in his situation would not have said, who am I? They would have said, who better than me? I killed Goliath. I've led victory after victory. Sure they want me. I'm Israel's golden boy. (laughs) This is not how you get the grace of God. This is how you can forfeit the grace of God. Did he expect this? Did he think they owed this to him? He did not. What did he say? Who am I? Who am I? What is my life? What's my father's family in Israel that I should be son-in-law to the king? We're talking about how to obtain more grace. He's one of the most favored and graced individuals in the Bible right here now. And we need to see what kind of heart he had and has. I'm looking forward to meeting him in heaven soon. Hmm? Uh, go with me to First Chronicles 17. There's a chapter here. I want us to read the entire chapter. It's, it's a moving passage to me. Years ago I, I read this and the Lord ministered to me in such a, a strong and a deep way. And every one of us can relate to this. And if we'll embrace it more fully, I'm convinced the Lord would bring us to a whole other level of grace. It's right here in this chapter. I want to read it in the NIV. You read it in, in whatever you have. First Chronicles 17 and 1. 
David has been delivered from Saul. He's, you know, for a while, once a week, he was that close from being killed. And from the Philistines or, or from Saul or for somebody. And it seemed like, I mean, back when he was a boy, he was uh, facing down bears and lions and then giants and then Saul. And then it was one thing. And the Bible said the Lord was with David and preserved him everywhere he went. You know why you're still sitting up in here this morning looking at me instead of gone years ago? The Lord's been with you. There's a lot of people, people you know, people that you were familiar with, maybe friends with, and uh, they died in their teens or they died uh, in their 20s or their 30s or whatever. And here you are older. Why are you still going? And then they, they've been gone for years. Why? It's the mercy of God. It's the grace of God. He's preserved you. He's preserved me. And now David is established as king. He settled in his palace. And he said to Nathan the prophet. Here I am. Living in a palace of cedar. While the ark of the covenant of the Lord is under a tent. This is bothering him. Nathan replied to David, whatever you have in mind. Now, uh, actually, most all the other translations says, do what you have in your heart. Do it. For God is with you. That's grace talk, isn't it? The Lord's with you. Do it. Verse 3. That night the word of God came to Nathan, the prophet. He said, go tell my servant David. This is what the Lord says. You are not the one. To build me a house to dwell in. I've not dwelt in a house from the day I brought Israel up out of Egypt to this day. I've moved from one tent site to another. From one dwelling place to another. Wherever I have moved with all the Israelites. Did I ever say to any of the leaders whom I commanded to shepherd my people. Why have you not built me a house of cedar? He said I never said anything about a house. Verse 8. Or excuse me 7. Now then tell my servant David, this is what the Lord Almighty says. I took you from the pasture and from following the flock to be ruler over my people Israel. How do you get from there to there? It is the grace of God. I've been with you wherever you have gone. I've cut off all your enemies from before you. And now I will make your name like the names of the greatest men of the earth. All kind of rulers throughout history have come and gone. And most people have no clue that they ever lived or ever reigned. But how many people know about David? We're talking about him this morning in Branson. I will provide a place for my people Israel. I will plant them so they can have a home of their own and no longer be disturbed. Wicked people will not oppress them anymore as they did at the beginning. And have done ever since the time I appointed leaders over my people Israel. I also will subdue all your enemies. I declare to you that the Lord will build a house for you. Glory to God. You know, uh, how long was it, Phyllis? A year or so before... We moved to Branson and the Lord led us and helped us to start this work. He gave us that word. Riding in the back of a plane. You remember that? We were talking with some people. And the Lord gave us this word. He said, I'm back up to that previous verse. Verse 9. I will provide a place for you. Plant you so you can have a home of your own. And no longer be disturbed. You won't have to move around. And you'll have a place of your own. We didn't know it would be in another state, in another town. It'd be in Branson. But do we have a place of our own? Do we have to ask any landlords if we can have a meeting or not, if we can do anything? God has given us something very special here, saints. Unique. Every church family is unique. And I'm not saying we're, you know, special above somebody else. But every church family is, we have, every family is unique. It's a little different from the other families. 
And aren't you thankful that the Lord's given us a place of our own and a family? He'll give you a place for your family, for you individually, for your business, for your ministry of your own. That you won't have to bounce around and people can't move you out and tell you what you can and can't do. Somebody say a place of my own. You're involved in shows here in town. I want you to know the Lord will give you a place of your own. Are y'all with me now? If that's what you're doing and you feel like you, you serve the Lord in that capacity. And the Lord needs people. Not just, Everybody's not supposed to be a preacher. He needs people in every walk of life. Every area. So you're reaching people in every walk of life. And you can have your own. You can have your own place. You can have your own building. You can have your own land. You can have your own vehicles. You can have your own equipment. You can have your own money. Come on, are you listening? He'll give you your own. Where you're not insecure and somebody can't just come and boot you out and kick you out last minute and change everything. He just, well, I don't know that I'm big enough. You know how many parishioners we had when we started this church? How many people in the congregation? None. None. You know how many we got in the congregation down in Sarasota right now? It's about to change. It can go. I like fast stuff, don't you? Stuff can go from zero to 60 and like that. But churches can go from zero to a thousand like that. Huh? And more. Somebody say glory to God. <laughs> he, he's the God who can do a quick work. Get, let, let's finish reading this. I'll provide a place for my people Israel and will plant them. Let's look at that in the King James. Put the King James up on there. They'll dwell in their place. They'll be moved no more. Glory to God. Verse 10 in the NIV. I will subdue all your enemies. And I declare to you that the Lord will build a house for you. Verse 11. When your days are over and you go to be with your fathers. I'll raise up your offspring to succeed you. One of your own sons and I will establish his kingdom. He is the one who will build a house for me. And I will establish his throne forever. I'll be his father. He'll be my son. I'll never take my love away from him as I took it away from your predecessor. Now, see, David saw, excuse me, Saul, Saul be removed. Didn't he? And I'm sure that was in his thinking. He never wanted that to happen to him. He didn't want it to happen to his sons after him. And the Lord's telling him, you don't have to think about that. Even after you're gone, I'm going to take care of your son and your son's son after you. Friends, the grace on your life affects your children. And one of the greatest things you could ever do for your kids and your grandkids and your great grandkids. More important than a college education. More important than buying them stuff. Is serving God with all of your heart. Come on are you listening to me. So he could pour out grace on you. Because that's going to affect your kids after you. Next verse. I will set him over my house and my kingdom forever. His throne will be established forever. Nathan reported to David all the words of this entire revelation. Then King David went in and sat before the Lord. And he said. Have you heard this before? What did he say? Who am I? O Lord God. And what is my family. That you have brought me this far. The Lord said I brought you from tagging along behind those sheep. To ruler of uh, my people Israel. Glory to God. Hmm. This holds a very dear place in my heart. The Lord spoke this to me. Uh, There was a time not too many years ago. I was walking around in early hours of the morning. Trying to get up our few milk cows. Down at our little farm. 
in Mississippi. And the Lord has allowed me to minister to his people. Glory to God. Who am I, David said. Oh, Lord God, what is my family that you have brought me this far? Did he feel like it was owed to him? Like he deserved it? He was entitled to it? No. He said, as if this were not enough in your sight, O God, you've spoken about the future of the house of your servant. You've looked on me as though I were the most exalted of men, O Lord God. What more can David say to you for honoring your servant? For you know your servant. O Lord, for the sake of your servant and according to your will, you have done this great thing and made known all these great promises. There's no one like you, O Lord. There's no God but you, as we've heard with our own ears. Who is like your people, Israel, the one nation on earth whose God went out to redeem a people for himself and to make a name for yourself and to perform great and awesome wonders by driving out nations from before your people whom you redeemed from Egypt? You made your people, Israel, your very own forever, and you, O Lord, have become their God. And now, Lord, let the promise you have made concerning your servant and his house be established forever. Do as you promised. So that it will be established and that your name will be great forever. Then men will say the Lord Almighty the God over Israel is Israel's God. And the house of your servant David will be established before you. You my God have revealed to your servant that you'll build a house for him. So your servant has found courage to pray to you. Oh Lord God you are God. And you have promised these good things to your servant. Now you have been pleased to bless the house of your servant that it may continue forever in your sight. For you, O God, have blessed it and it will be blessed forever. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. It would bear acknowledging that David did not have a vision of the Lord's words. He did not have an angelic visitation. He did not hear an audible voice. The prophet Nathan came in and told him that the Lord had told him to tell him this. And when he heard these words, to quote David, they were more precious than gold to him. And he went in to the Lord's house and he fell down in the floor I think he had tears on his face. And he said, who am I, oh God, that you would say these kind of things about me and you would do these kind of things for me and not just now in my life but beyond my lifetime into my children's and my children's children. And he worshiped God. What kind of person gets this kind of grace? What kind of person has this kind of heart? I want you to go back to the first verse of this chapter and see where this started and how it started. What kind of heart did David have? It was humble. But there's something else in here too. Our verse we read in Acts said he desired to build a house for God. We could also say this, he desired to honor the Lord. Didn't he? This was what was motivating him and driving him as a boy. This is how he found the courage to face Goliath. He came and he saw Goliath pacing back and forth and cussing God and and blaspheming. And he couldn't take it. He said, what is this? This uncircumcised Philistine talking about God like that. He couldn't understand why somebody didn't go over there and take care of that. Now this is before the days of getting the revelation that flesh and blood is not your problem. (laughs) In these days, they did not have that revelation. As far as they could see, flesh and blood was their problem. And this blaspheming giant talking about his God like this, he couldn't bear it. He was willing to put his life totally at risk to stop this. 
We should be more passionate about God than living. You with me, friends? I mean, times people talk about dying and acting like that's the most terrible thing that could happen to you. Everybody dies. Everybody is dying. You know, it's your cat's going to die, your dog, your flowers, your, your pet bird, your goldfish. And enough time, the Lord tears is coming. You, you should know this. You should not be shocked about this. Clinging, clinging on to things, you know, if it takes being a coward and not standing up for God to live a few extra days, forget it. Forget it. It's not worth it. And David, as a boy, felt this way. He didn't have the revelation we have of Jesus and, and redemption. But what he did have, he loved the Lord his God with all his heart and all his soul and all his mind and all his strength. And he was jealous for the honor of God. And he couldn't take this, I don't care if he's a hundred feet tall. He can't stand out there and cuss God. And he found the faith to go out and meet him. And God helped him. You talk about grace. Grace. A boy with a slingshot defeats a giant who's been a warrior all his life. How are you going to do that? How you? No way, no how, except by tons of grace. Grace. Somebody say grace. Grace. Can you see what we're talking about? With enough grace, you can face anything. You can overcome. Nothing's too big. With enough grace. Who gets this kind of grace? Yes, the humble. But what else are we seeing here that goes along with this humility? This, This wholehearted fire. Desire, passion, love for God. Can you see it? That's why when they finally got to see when uh, in the beginning days, they didn't have the Ark of the Covenant. That's like us not having the Holy Spirit. And they got it back. I said they got it back. And when they got it back, you remember what happened the day they got it back? The Bible said David got in the street. And he danced with all his might. Everybody say, all his might. You talk about a dancing fool. You hadn't seen a dancing fool. Like, I mean, he, he was giving her all he had and didn't care who saw or what they thought. His own wife despised him for it. And he would not repent nor recant. He said, you, baby, you ain't seen nothing yet. You thought that was something. You just hang around. We got the presence of God back in the nation. We got we got the presence of God. I'm going to dance. I'm going to shout. I'm going to do what it takes. Can you see what kind of, the Bible said the eyes of the Lord are searching to and fro throughout the whole earth. Looking for what? He wants to show himself strong on the behalf. Does that sound like grace? He wants to show himself strong on the behalf of those whose heart is perfect toward him. That word perfect doesn't mean flawless. It means complete. Wholehearted. Wholehearted. We should remember What's written in Revelation where he told them, he said, I would you were cold or hot, but because you're lukewarm, I'm going to spew you out of my mouth. Surely being warm is better than being cold. Apparently not. What's the Lord saying? Make up your mind. Don't play with this. Be out or be in. Do it or don't. And if you're going to do it, do it. Reach down. And give it everything you've got. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And if you will do that. It's going to draw something from God. To you. It's going to be grace. Parents know this. You know. 
that you love your children. But I want to ask you about them loving you. God loves us. He's got nothing to prove. He's proved it a million times over and he proves it every day. He loves us. He'll never leave us. He'll never forsake us. He'll never quit loving us no matter what we do. But when we love him with all of our heart, it pulls something out of him. It pulls on him toward us. David, he didn't have that much light compared to a New Testament Christian, especially. But he's walking in all the light he's got. He knows God's brought him a long way from where he was to standing in this palace today. And where so many people are not thinking about, you know, can I do more? They're glad nobody's asking them to do more. It's in his heart. He said, this is not right. I'm in here in this big palace and the ark's out there. Now see, the ark was the place for the presence of God. Because the presence of God didn't live in everybody like the new birth has made available. But what's the presence of God mean to you? This is God himself. And he said, the ark out there is in a tent. And Nathan said, the Lord's with you. Do what you think. And so he's getting ready to build a house. And I'm going to think he's getting ready to build a, sure enough. To quote him, exceeding magnifical. He says, what this house has got to be, exceeding magnificent. Go with me over to uh, first, you're in chapter 17, aren't you? Go to the, what is the 29th chapter? First Chronicles 29. Yeah, that's right. First Chronicles 29. When the Lord told David that, he said, I want to build the Lord a house. And, uh, the Lord said, no, you're not going to build the house. But I'm going to build you a house. <laughs> and the scripture said, when Solomon actually completed the house, after David's already gone from the earth, he quotes these words that the Lord told his dad through the prophet. And why would he? David must have grilled him in him. And he said that the that the Lord said it was, David had it in his heart to build this house, but he wouldn't let him build it. But the Lord said it was good that it was in his heart. Everybody say it was good. That it was in his heart. Let me give you that reference. Some people might need to write that down. First uh, Kings 8, 17 and 18. 1 Kings 8, you hold your place in Chronicles, but 1 Kings 8, 17 and 18, put it up on the screen for us. It was in the heart of David, my father, to build a house for the name of the Lord God of Israel. And the Lord said to David, my father, whereas it was in your heart to build a house to my name, you did well that it was in your heart. Said out loud, you did well, you did well. that it was in your heart. Well, when David saw he couldn't do it, But the Lord said his son would be able to do it. He immediately started preparations for the house. He thought, well, maybe I can't build it, but I can provide the money and the materials. And so the next several, if you read the very next chapter, you read about campaigns in which their enemies were soundly defeated and their banks emptied. The Philistines were trying to overrun them and kill them, so they conquered them and relieved them of all their gold and silver and precious stones. And what David did was set up a God account. And he said, we're going to build the Lord's house. And he did this for years. Until finally, at the end of his life, just not too long before he died, Solomon, his son, is now on the throne in his place. The word of the Lord has already come to pass concerning that. And they're ready to break ground on the Lord's house. And they have an offering. And what an offering. 
It's recorded in this 29th chapter of 1 Chronicles. Verse 1. Furthermore, David the king said to all the congregation, Solomon, my son, whom alone God has chosen, is young and tender, and the work is great. For the palace is not for man, but for the Lord God. Don't you like that word palace? Not a shack. Huh? Verse 2. Now I have prepared with all my might. When you love the Lord with all your heart, you do it with all you got. Like uh, Paul said by the Spirit, I will very gladly spend and be spent for you. For God and for his people. He said, he goes on to say, I have prepared with all my might for the house of my God. And he goes through the list. Gold and silver, brass, stones. Verse 3, because I've set my affection to the house of my God. He didn't just think about the Lord's things on the Sabbath. One day a week. He said, I have of my own proper good of gold and silver, which I've given to the house of my God over and above all that I have prepared for the holy house, 3,000 talents of gold. I don't know if you know how much gold that is, but it, depending on the price of an ounce going right now, it's about 1.5 billion. That's out of his personal account. Somebody say glory to God. We've sown some million dollar seeds. Wouldn't it be something? Wouldn't it be something to sow a billion dollar seed? Selah. A billion dollar seed. Come on, you ought to just say that out loud so you can bounce off your ears. A billion dollar seed. Billion dollar seed. I think that would qualify as a super whopper. Chuck. <laughs> Don't you? That might be bigger than a whopper chunk. That's super whopper chunk. And uh, verse 5, he said at the end of the verse, Who is willing to consecrate his service this day to the Lord? And the chief of the fathers and princes of the tribes, they came and they offered willingly. And verse 7, they gave for the service of the house of God of gold 5,000 talents. That's about 2.5 billion. And all the other constituted millions and possibly hundreds of millions. And verse 9, then the people rejoiced. For that they offered willingly, because with a what? With a what? Now what does that word perfect mean now? Whole. Wholehearted. I guess so. They're cleaning out their accounts. Hold your place here. Go back to our text in Acts 4. Acts 4.33. Our text we've read every time. With great power gave the apostles witness of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And great grace was upon them all. Neither was there any among them that lacked. For as many as were possessors of lands or houses sold them. And brought the prices of things that were sold. And laid them down at the apostles feet. And distribution was made to every man according as he had need. Does that sound familiar? Is there any connection between that kind of heart. And that kind of giving and great grace. Now see, I, I said the word giving. And so you, you feel a little bit subdued in, in the house. I'm not getting ready to receive an offering. We've already received the offering. But that, that reservation... Is a problem. It is the hindrance to greater grace. Now I know there are manipulative men and women and preachers around that prophesy money out of your pocket into theirs 
and use even some of these scriptures like this and twist them and try to. It doesn't change what happened here. It doesn't change the fact that there is a real and there is a true. And if you love the Lord with all your heart, where your treasure is, that's where your heart is. And where your heart is, that's where your treasure goes and is. And it's one and the same. And people, let me just ask you this. Was David struggling with tithing? (laughs) Was he debating with Nathan the prophet about whether they still had to tithe in his day? No. And can, why do I bring that up? Because that's where millions of Christians are. Millions of church going people, preachers included. Don't even tithe. And people want to know, well, well, what's the problem? I love the Lord. If you love the Lord with all of your heart, it would be shown in your finances. And every part of your life. I know people don't like this. But one goes hand in hand with the other. If you love the Lord with all your heart. You're not waiting for somebody to tell you you have to do something and see what the minimum you can get by with. Your heart and desire is there and you'll you'll look around with the blessings on your life and you look out and go, wait a minute, wait a minute. What kind of car does the missionary have? Wait a minute. What's this going on in the church? What I mean, the, the, the ark's out there in a tent. We can't have the ark in a tent. Come on, do I have more than four or five people with me? We can't have the ark in a tent. And the Lord may not let us do all of those things, but whether he did or not, it was good. That it, we did well that we had it in our heart. And if we say, Lord, we want to do this for you. We want to do this. We want to do it all. We're telling him, not just that he loves us, we're telling him, we love you. We love you with everything, and it will reach and pull on him. Oh, come on, do you see it with David? David said, I want to build you a proper house. I want to build you a temple like ain't nobody ever seen. I want to do it. I mean, it's going to be, they'll talk about it all over the world. And And the Lord says, no, 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 you're not going to do it. I'm going to let your boy do it. I'm going to build you a house. Come on. Did you hear hear the cycle of what happened there? Because of his heart. For what he wanted to do. And did the Lord let them do this? These billions. Let's finish reading. Go back to 1 Chronicles 29. You'll see the same kind of thing. Verse 9. The people rejoiced. They offered willingly. With a perfect heart, a total heart, they offered willingly. David the king rejoiced with great joy. He blessed the Lord before the congregation. He said, yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty for all that's in the heaven and in the earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord, and you are exalted as head above all. Both riches and honor come of you, and you reign over all, and in your hand is power and might, and in your hand is it to make great and give strength to all. Now therefore, our God, we thank you and we praise your glorious name. But who am I and what is my people that we should be able to offer so willingly after this sort? For all things come of you and of your own have we given you. Do I have to? Well, I just don't see that. I just don't see that as being relevant to us for New Testament times. I know some people don't like to hear it. And then they want to argue about this. But this is the problem. It's a heart problem. If you're reserving in this area and reserving and limiting in this area and holding back in this area, it ain't about money. It's about your heart. And if he don't have everything, then he don't have your whole heart. And if he's got your whole heart, if you love him with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength, all your might. Your might includes your financial ability. 
as well as any influence that you have, any ability, anything that's under your hand. And you'll do it with all your might. Now, I know there's a lot of people that it bothers them to hear things like this. And they think, well, I, I don't have much. I'm not asking you for anything. We don't ask anybody for anything. Don't have to. We're not about to receive an offering. But that fear, that reservation, that timidity, that wanting to argue, to defend, that's narrowness of heart. That's not full love. We're on this earth for a few days. I said a few days. We'll soon all be out of here. We're put down here for a reason. We've come to the kingdom for such a time as this. The Lord said, I'll build my church on this rock. Hallelujah. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I think we should have some conquests. I think we should lay hold and receive. I think we should advance. And we should have some celebrations. Amen. That we've already had some in this church where we could shout and say, the Lord gave us this and the Lord did this and we have this and it all came in and we were able to do this and these people were blessed and these people are receiving. How many want to see bigger celebrations and and greater things happen? It could only be with more grace. And the people that get to more grace are the ones that would say when it happens, who am I? Who am I that you do this for me and that we would be able to give like this? Thank you, Lord. Somebody say, thank you, Lord. David said, verse 20, to all the congregation, bless the Lord your God. And all the congregation blessed the Lord God of their fathers and bowed down their heads and worshiped the Lord and the king. And they sacrificed sacrifices to the Lord and offered burnt offerings to the Lord on the morrow after that day. A thousand bulls, a thousand rams, a thousand lambs. Who told them they had to do that many? Nobody. Nobody. Well, what's the minimum required? Because these are really good bulls. We don't want to kill all our bulls. (laughs) This is why people are short of grace. This narrowness of heart. This smallness. Don't say I don't have much. Jesus remarked about the woman that put in the two mites, didn't he? He said she outgave everybody here. And they were given big amounts. Why? Why? Because she did all she could do, and it was obviously with her whole heart. And it is accepted of the Lord. And when you tell the Lord, Lord, I want to do what I can do. I want to do more than what I can do. It will cause him to say to you, and I'm going to do something for you, child. <laughs> Come on, can you, can you identify with David? Can you say, Lord, I want to build you a house. Lord, I want to. I want to help build your church. I, I want to see this thing done. I want it done first rate. I want it done right. Yeah. Huh? Yes. And you understand that will cause the Lord to look back at you and go, I'm going to build you a house, baby. I'm going to do something for you. Why? Because you had it in your heart like that. And it calls for the grace of God increased in your life. Can you say Amen. Stand on your feet, everybody. Thanks be unto God. Thanks be unto our great God. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Let's just close our eyes and reach up with our hearts to the great Father who's loved us, given us life and breath, ability to think, know, ability to do, Any resources we have or will ever have is by His gracious hand. Pray it out loud if you have it in your heart to do so. Father God, I desire to give you my all. I wouldn't exist. I wouldn't be anything. I wouldn't have anything anything. 
except for you and your grace. And I love you with all my heart, all my soul, all my mind, all my might, everything I am, everything I have. I have a desire. I have a burning passion to live fully for you, to go all the way with you. And to do everything to the highest level that you would have me do. I want to build you a house. Hallelujah. Let's sing. This ministry has been brought to you today free of charge by the partners of More Life Ministries and Faith Life Church. If you would like to help send this word to others at no charge, you can become a word sender today. For more information, visit our website at morelife.org.